we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. You may be seated. Teach us to abide, Lord. Teach us to abide. I hope that's your prayer today. I'm going to invite you to open in your Bibles to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Uh, We'll have the text of Scripture here behind me as well if you'd like to follow along that way. But we always love opening Scripture together. We want you to see with your own eyes. You're not here to hear my words today, but to hear the words of the Lord as revealed in Scripture. Psalm 73. Follow along as I read aloud. A Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. We're in a series right now called Soul Songs throughout the summer, Soul Songs. I love soul music, but I love the scriptures. It gives us a whole different genre of soul songs that express what human beings, people just like you and just like me, 
what they feel in the everyday stuff of life. And I love the Psalms because there are times in my life that I feel that I just do not have the words to pray for the moment. Have you ever been there before? You feel under so much pressure, so much stress. Maybe you're like our brother Mark who confessed this morning. Even on the way to church, I have no idea what's irritating me today, but I've just got something that I feel is under my skin. The Psalms give us language to say even when we don't know what to say. And so this Asaph, he was one of the servants of King David, and he was helping David as they wrote beautiful songs together to worship the Lord before his presence but this soul song uh, is, is of this writer Asaph, and he's giving a testimony. He says in verses 1 and 2, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And you see in verse 28, he ends it the same way. God is good. It's good to be near to God. And so we're figuring out, well, what does this goodness look like? But the psalmist, he doesn't give us just this journey of, of rainbows and ponies. No, he gives us a journey that is, is really tough. He says, I see the goodness of God now, but there was a time when I nearly lost my faith. He says in verse 2, my, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. I think he's talking about his, his faith, his trust in God. I, I'm being crushed right now. You ever been there before? In a deep, dark night of the soul. I feel like I'm ready to lose my faith. God, where are you? Where are you? He was crushed. Why was he crushed? Verse 3 gives us the problem here. He says, I was envious of the arrogant. I was jealous. I felt just this heated annoyance under my skin. I was being tormented. Why? I see that the wicked are prospering all over the place. Why, God? Where are you? Don't you see their wickedness? Don't you see their arrogance? What is going on here? This this seems upside down. My heart feels flipped over on its end because I'm seeing things that just don't feel right. They don't feel just. In fact, what I believe this psalmist is really giving us is a song to God about the injustice that he sees all over the place. You could even say that the psalmist in this testimony is talking about a time when he felt like a caged bird. In fact, that's the name of a poem by the great poet Maya Angelou, who lived from 1928 to 2014, acclaimed African-American poet, storyteller, activist, who worked for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and several presidents, and eventually she was awarded the National Medal of Arts by President Clinton. But she has this this poem called Caged Bird. Speaking of two birds, one in a cage and one that's being flying around free, and it's the song of this caged bird as it watches these other birds just flying around in perfect freedom and feeling the injustice of it all. And here's how the poem goes. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends. And dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill 
for the caged bird sings of freedom. The freed bird thinks of another breeze, and the trade winds soft through the singing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a dawn-bright lawn, and he names the sky his own. But a caged bird stands on the grave of dreams. His shadow shouts on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the cage bird sings of freedom. Have you ever felt like that caged bird? Feeling like you're being crushed? Feeling like the injustice that you see all around you, maybe when you turn on the television, maybe when you feel it on the streets of our cities, maybe when you feel it even under your own roof in your household, maybe you feel it in the workplace. I continue to get passed over and over and over again, and I'm trying to do the right thing. I feel crushed. I feel like a caged bird. Lord, where are you? Well, in this testimony that Asaph gives in Psalm 73, he he talks about his journey of faith. Through it all, all the messes, all the sin, all the stuff, he gets it all out for a song for us to sing here today. And here's our big idea this morning. When prevailing injustice crushes our faith, God's power and presence are the rock of our souls. When prevailing injustice, when the things that we see and feel, when we feel like that caged bird and our belief and our hope and our trust is being crushed, it's looking to God and his power and his nearness to us that becomes the bedrock that holds our faith up. When prevailing injustice crushes our faith, God's power and presence are the rock of our souls. We'll see that in three ways this morning. First, we see what the psalmist sees with his eyes, what he's looking at on a horizontal level level in verses 4 through 15. Then we'll see what the psalmist recalls in verses 16 through 22. And thirdly, we'll see what the psalmist then desires in verses 23 to 28. First thing, what does the psalmist see? What does he see? Well, he sees the arrogance of the wicked. He sees the arrogance of the wicked. And we see the the condition of the wicked in verses 4 through 5. It says that they have no pains. They have nothing binding them all the way till death. It's almost as if they're that free bird that's flying around. And they're fat and sleek. They're healthy. They're well-fed. They have no ordinary trouble of people. They're not worried about how bills are going to get paid. They just walk around and they just pay for whatever they want. They're not stricken by hardship. They're not plagued with with worries. They don't have cares like we have, many of us. This is their condition. They're flying around with like a free bird with no cares in the world, walking around and there's a, a fresh lawn to catch worms, right? But this condition that they're experiencing, instead of giving thanks to God as we all ought to do, as we looked at earlier from Chronicles, that this, this, uh, this statement, this prayer that all riches come from you, instead of that, it causes their hearts to be filled with conceit. And we see that in verses 6 through 12. They wear pride as a necklace, it says. Violence clothes them. In fact, I like the New Living Translation uh, translation of verses 6 through 8. It says, they clothe themselves with cruelty. Cruelty. 
It's not just enough that I have what I need, but I'm going to walk around and I might take what you have as well. I'm cruel. I see you in need and I really don't care. Why? Because I've got what I need and I couldn't care less about your condition. They're clothed with cruelty. It goes on to say in the New Living Translation, these fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil, and in their pride they seek to crush others. That's where this injustice comes from. You see, why why do they act this way? They have everything they need. Why aren't they generous and willing to share? No, they clothe themselves in cruelty, and these fat cats ride around in their beautiful cars and in in their beautiful planes, and they've got everything that they need, and they use their power, and they use their wealth, and they use their influence not to help others, but to in, to just make themselves richer, and they're cruel to those in need. Not only that, they, they boast against heaven, it says in verse 9. They let their, set their mouths against the heavens. That's where God lives. They, they start saying lofty things and, and putting themselves on pedestals, and their tongue struts through the earth. I mean, you could just imagine just strutting around. They can say whatever they want. They can do whatever they want without any consequences because they have all the money and all the power and they use that for themselves. But it gets worse than that. Not only are these people arrogant and boastful, but verse 10 says that the people who follow them, they give this hearty approval. And I don't think it's this approval because they're actually behind what these arrogant people are doing, but because they're afraid of them or they're trying to get into their favor. And so they're just kissing up to them, right? And they're drinking in whatever these wealthy, arrogant, fat cats are serving up to the people. People find no fault in them. Literally, it's people are slurping up their abundant waters, New Living Translation says that these people that follow these arrogant, wicked people are drinking in all their words. And here's Matthew's translation. These people are drinking the Kool-Aid of their boasts. They're just drinking it all in. They want to get on the good side of these arrogant, wicked, unjust, cruel people. And, And it just gets deeper and deeper. They're, 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 they're robbing from others. They're cruel. They start boasting against heaven. Their tongues are strutting around the earth. And then it, it gets even worse than that. They start to fool themselves and lead others to be fooled. Verse 11 says, they say, how can God know? What's God going to do? Does he not see all the power I have? Does he not see all the wealth I have? What's God going to do about it? So they... Say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge with him? Does he see? He doesn't even care what we're doing. He doesn't care because we get away with murder, it seems like. We get away with everything. So we see the wicked. We see their condition. And we see their conceit. In verse 12, Asaph sums that up. He says, behold, these are the wicked always at ease, the increase in riches. Do you see that in our world today? Do you see that? I see it. It makes me angry. It makes me frustrated. That the powerful, they oppress the weak. That the the, the rich oppress the poor. That the healthy oppress the sick. We see it around us all the time. We feel it. And if you haven't felt it yet, just wait a while. You're going to feel it. You'll feel it yourself. I'm getting passed over. I'm getting trampled on. 
Maybe this is something that's pricking your heart today because you realize, is that me? Am I a fat cat just living high on the hog? Or am I wearing my riches like a, a robe of cruelty? Is my tongue strutting around and boasting about what I've achieved, what I've done, what I've accomplished, and saying, uh, yeah, God helped me along, but really I took it the rest of the way. He got me started, but I was the one who crossed the finish line. Oh, friends, I pray that we as a wealthy people living in northern Virginia wouldn't be like these fat cats wearing our privilege around like a robe of cruelty. But that we would see that injustice is all over the place. And we may feel like that caged bird. And we may see those around us that feel crushed like that caged bird. So what's the psalmist's attitude in response to all this? What, what, what's he going to do about it? He feels like a caged bird, but he's singing not a song of praise to God. He's, he's singing a cynical song. Verse 13 says, all in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. It's vanity. It's emptiness. It sounds like Ecclesiastes. It's all for nothing. I've, kept, I've been pure in my heart. I've kept myself innocent and got nothing for it, while the arrogant have got wealthier and richer on their wickedness. What good is it to serve God if this is the way things are going to be is what he's saying. It sounds pretty cynical, Right? It sounds almost blasphemous. God, what? I've been wasting my time serving you because here I am locked in a cage and my faith feels crushed today because I'm suffering and yet here are all these fat cats out here getting away with murder. What good is it to serve God? Quite a statement, right? Quite a statement. Can the Bible actually be full of questions like these? Questions that at one time or another, I know you felt, and I felt it myself, friend, at times, expressing just the vanity that it feels sometimes to do what's right when you see wickedness all over the place, even in our nation's capital, even in the places that should be defending justice, we see corruption and wickedness and partisanship all over the place, serving themselves. We serve our own selves as well. But the psalmist says, this is, this is vanity. Verse 14, he says, the wicked, they're, they're living in comfort. They're getting away with murder. What, what do I get? I get discipline from you, Lord. You actually put me in line when I get out of line. They're getting away with everything. I can't get away with anything, right? Sometimes I've seen that with my kids, you know. They've got friends, and their friends can do this and that and the other thing. And, and Laura and me were like, well, you're not going to do that. It's like, why? Why is that? Why can so-and-so do this and that and the other? They can get away with anything. But every time I do something wrong, I get caught, right? You ever been there? I'm the one that gets caught all the time. That's what Asaph's saying. Lord, look at them. They're getting away with everything. I can't get away with anything. You, you discipline me all the time. It's all been worthless. It's all been useless. It's all been a waste of my time. Serving God has got me nothing, and it's brought me nowhere. But in these moments, in these thoughts, he's shaken out of his stupor. He's shaken out of his blasphemy. He's shaken out of these thoughts that he's thinking and singing and praying and wondering, oh, Lord, what in the world is going on here? This, this is really jacked up. He knows better. His brutal honesty in the situation shakes him out of it. He cries out to God in all honesty, but he realizes that his cynical song would have betrayed God's people by tempting them to sin 
and abandon God. Friend, I want to ask you today, would you go to God with your cynical songs? So often I, I see us bringing our cynical songs out in the open. We'll, we'll share it on social media. We'll share it with one another. We'll get on the phone right away and say, what good is it? There's injustice everywhere. And the psalmist says, if I had shared that, if I had expressed that to my children, to my spouse, to my friends, it would have brought everyone else down with me. But I brought it to God. I brought it to God and I realized not only would have this crushed me, but it would have crushed those around me. Friend, if you're here today and you have not brought your cynical Cageberg song to the Lord, God offers that to you today. Tell him about it. Call out to him. And in that moment, I believe God meets you right where you're at, just like he met Asaph and said, I'm going to wake you up so that you could see something that I'm doing. I want to wake you up. Don't cause your brother and sister, and especially your children, to sin. Take your song, your caged bird song, to the Lord and tell him about it. We're going to talk about that next week, complaining to God. What does that look like? So we'll move on. What happens here? Well, the psalmist, he recalls the power of God, verses 16 through 22. He recalls the power of God. Verse 16, he says, When I thought about this, how to understand how all this is working out, it seemed to be a weary, wearisome task. He's shaken and rattled by all he's pondered. He has no place. He has no categories for how this is supposed to work. How the righteous receive the discipline of God. By the wicked, they get away with murder, it seems like. So where does he go? He has nowhere else to go. He says, I went to the sanctuary of God. I went to God. This song is exhausting. Why do we get exhausted? Why, why is this such a wearisome task? Friend, I think we get weary and our faith gets crushed and we feel like a caged bird because our gaze begins to focus on the horizontal. We're constantly looking at the way things are here on this earth. We're trying to figure things out. We're trying to take the place of God and figure out how should justice be meted out in this world. Now, friends, I, I don't believe that we shouldn't fight for the cause of justice, that we shouldn't care for the oppressed and for the poor and the orphan and the widow and the foreigner and the needy. We should be caring for those that are in need. We should be standing up for justice. But if we think in that moment that we could play God and start meeting out justice and figuring out how to work out all the injustices, you will find it will be a wearisome, exhausting, crushing task. Why? Because you're not God. Asaph is not God. I'm not God. You may feel crushed, burdened, caged today by prevailing injustice. God allows it to lead us to the end of ourselves so we see that the only safety is found in him. If you feel at the end of yourself today, that's exactly where God wants you to be. He wants you to see you are not God, but he is. And so the psalmist says, there's nowhere else I could go. I go to your sanctuary. I go to the only one, your dwelling place on the earth, the only one who can make sense of our world and give hope to our hearts is God, our God. He looks out his window and he sees injustice, the psalmist is. He's looking out his window, but he knows the one who is piloting the plane. 
Friends, I, I know some of you fly into Reagan National often, and I know that's over the Potomac River, but I, I've flown into San Francisco Airport, International Airport, uh, dozens of times. Anybody of you ever fly into San Francisco? It's a little bit jarring as you get to the end of the flight because the last five minutes of the flight, you're flying over the San Francisco Bay between Oakland and San Francisco, and you're flying uh, from the southeast toward the northwest, and you're coming in. SFO is built right on the bay, and so those last few moments, you're looking out your little window, right? And I'm looking out the window across the aisle as well, and what do I see? I see nothing but water, and we're getting lower and we're getting lower, and we're getting lower, and my palms start to sweat a little bit. I'm like, oh my gosh, this plane is going in the San Francisco Bay. Like, I'm going to be ready. I'm looking around like, who, who can I like jump over and step over to get out the plane, right? Not really. Hopefully, I'd help others. But, but I feel that moment at, at that time, and my, my, my heart stops for a moment because I could tell we're like maybe a dozen, 20 feet, two dozen feet from, from the, the surface of the water. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this place is going to crash. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden the water just turns into this speeding land underneath you, the runway. And the plane lands and it lands softly and I go, Whew. And I say to myself, next time I need to remember that the runway is right next to the bay so I don't freak out like I did just this time. You see, what I can see is, is out my window, all I see is the chaos of water. I don't want to land there, but there's someone piloting the plane that sees, even though there's water all around, he could see in front of him or she could see in front of him, and they're ready to land that plane safely on the land. Friend, that's what Asaph is saying. All I can see looking out my window is injustice. And I think this can't be right, but the pilot of the plane, the one who is in charge of the universe, the one who could see all things says, I'm going to bring creation, including you, Asaph, to a safe landing. Oh, friends, that we would trust the pilot of the plane. When we feel like that caged bird, when we feel like our soul is being crushed, we go to God, we go to his sanctuary, and we know that he is the only one that can make sense of this world. And so what does he recall? What does Asaph recall? He recalls that God cares more about the injustices of this world than he does. <laughs> Asaph is saying, Lord, this is like burning me up right now. But then when he starts to consider and remember who God is, what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do someday, he realizes, oh my goodness, I thought this was burning me up. There is a day that God will bring justice to the earth. And he cares more about every tear that is shed he cares about more about every whip that was cracked over the backs of slaves. He cares about all of every child that is, that is murdered. He cares about it all as much as you do. God cares infinitely more about it because he's an infinitely holy God. And so Asaph recalls this. He says, verse 18, you, you're giving these fat cats a slippery path. And they're going to fall all over a cliff to destruction. They're headed for a cliff. They think they're driving along safe and sound, but they're ready to fall right over a cliff, Lord. Verse 19, he says, their prosperity, it's only temporal. It's only for the now. But someday they're going to be destroyed and it's going to be wiped away in an instant. There is no 401k. There is no investment plan. There is, there's nothing. There's no home. There's no fortress. There's no tank or plane that can defend one against the mighty power of a just and holy God when he brings his retribution. Asaph remembers this. 
He says in verse 20 that their arrogance and treachery will one day be as a dream. It's almost as if God, he's saying, it's God, it's going to be like you, like, like when I wake up from a nightmare and I remember all these different uh, people that are haunting me in my dreams and I wake up and I laugh and I realize they didn't touch me. They didn't touch me. It's like a dream. It's like they were a phantom. He says, God, that's what it's going to be like to you. The memory of them is going to be like a phantom. Their boasts, their pride, their tongues strutting around like they're arrogant, and their cruelty that they wear, it's going to be like a phantom someday because God is going to do such a just and righteous and holy and gracious work in the world to come that the memories of the injustices of this day are going to be like a dream, Asaph says, because God is powerful. Because God is just. All the injustices will be swept away. It'll all be gone like a dream. And so verses 20 20, 21 through 22, Asaph says, my, my soul was embittered. I was pricked in the heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. The psalmist, he realizes his folly the folly of focusing on the wicked, the folly of gazing out the window of the plane on the side and thinking everything is falling apart. It was foolishness. It was foolishness. New Living Translation says, I was all torn up inside. All torn up inside. You ever felt that way? It says, I was foolish and ignorant like an animal to you. Like an animal to you. You see, God created humanity in his image. You know, the, the difference between animals and, and, and people is that people have a relationship with God. There's something in us, and it's almost, it's almost undefinable in our emotions and in our will and in our intellect. We are created for relationship. But in those moments where we try to take the place of God, it's foolishness. It's like we become a, an animal to God. Because we're not relating to him, we're, we're judging him. We're trying to think that, that we've got it all figured out. Just yesterday, our, our little dog, Archie, Alethea was at home with me at the time. Everybody else was gone. And, and I just opened the door just for a moment at the front door, and that little dog, he bolted out. It was warm outside, it was sunny, and, and I mean, birds and squirrels everywhere. So this dog just took off. And I'm thinking, oh my, soul, oh my goodness, he doesn't know the difference between a sidewalk and a street. He's going to get run over. What's going to happen to him? And so we were able, after about five minutes, to track him down and get him back in the house. But I'm just thinking to myself, man, he doesn't understand. He just thinks that he could be the ruler of his world and run wherever he wants, and nothing is ever going to harm him. I mean, if you've never met Archie, he's like this big. He's really tiny. And, I mean, he's, he weighs, like, what, like eight pounds or something like that? He's a teeny tiny, yeah, he's a teeny tiny dog, right? But then a few hours later, everybody was gone. Lathy ended up leaving with Laura to do some shopping, and I was at home, obviously coming up with my final illustrations for today. But I, I was at home, and I was thinking about it, and I was, I was reflecting on some of these verses, and all of a sudden, this, God just decided to open up the heavens. You saw that yesterday? Thunder, lightning, buckets of rain pouring down. It was absolutely intense. And what was interesting is that Archie had no desire to be outside. He heard the rumbling of the thunder. He saw the pouring rain. He could see the flashes of light. And as I'm sitting there with my laptop, he curls up to me, and I could feel his body pressed as close as he can to my leg on the couch, and I could just feel this shivering. He's shivering, and, you know, I... We have an interesting relationship, but I pet him a little bit. It's okay, Archie. I'm here for you. Everything is going to be okay. But he's like, he was just this animal. He didn't understand the difference until he saw the chaos outside and he said, I got to be right next to you. 
because I know that it's safe. Friends, sometimes when we play this, this attitude that we know what's best, that we know exactly how injustices should be addressed in this world, when we think we know what's best for us, we're acting brutish. We're acting like an animal toward our God to say, I know what's best. I know what I can do. Just set me free. I want to run loose. And sometimes God turns on the thunderstorm to get us close to him, to get us near him so that we remember who he is and who we are so that we could relate to him once again the way we were designed to relate to him in full trust and in full obedience. So what's the resolution of the psalmist? What's the song that this caged bird is going to sing? Thirdly, we see the desires of the psalmist. What does he desire? He desires the presence of the Lord. Lord, I just, I just want to be near you. Friends, I... I don't know if, if you've ever prayed these verses before, but verses 23 through 26 are some of the most precious and tender verses I think I've ever read in the Bible. It's beautiful. It says, despite my circumstances, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. It's like Archie yesterday. I, oh, man, I hear a lot of thunder. A lot, I see a lot of lightning. I hear the pouring rain. I'm just next to you. I'm continually with you. The psalmist is saying, your salvation, Lord, is all I need. God doesn't give us answers. He gives us something better than answers to all the injustices we see. You know what he gives? He gives himself. He gives himself. I give you my power. I give you my presence. I give you my comfort. Look what it says here in, in verses uh, 23 to 24. It says, you hold my right hand. He grasps his hand. He, he guides the psalmist with his counsel, and he says, I'm going to give you a glorious destiny. Friends, this is a beautiful picture of the stages of salvation, the story that God rescues his people past present and future. It gives us hope when we feel crushed, when we feel like we're in that cage, when we feel like we have no strength to lift up ourselves and support us in the storm. But there is a rock who holds us together, and that rock is Jesus Christ. He grasped our hand when we were at our worst, when our wicked hearts were boastful and proud and sinful. And then he says, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to give you the gift of my presence through the Holy Spirit to guide you and transform you and comfort your heart. And not only that, I'm promising you that even though there are moments where you feel far from me, I'm giving you a glorious destiny when the wicked are going to be just like a dream and you're going to be in my presence, a glorious destiny destiny that goes even beyond the grave. He's telling the psalmist, and the psalmist is remembering, hey, even if these arrogant, wicked, uh, boastful strutters, even if they kill me, it can't touch my inheritance with you, Lord. You've grasped my hand. You've guided me with your counsel. You've given me a glorious destiny. In verses 25 to 26, I have to read these again. They're just so beautiful. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart, they're going to fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He says there's nothing on earth 
I desire besides you. You're all I want. You're all I need. You see, friends, our, our secular love songs, they try to convey how we feel toward one another, toward my baby, right? Oh, I love my baby. I can't live without my baby. I love Whitney Houston's songs. I have nothing. I'm not going to sing it. I have nothing, nothing, nothing if I don't have you, you, right? My daughter is cringing right now so badly. I'm sorry, Alethea. I love that song. I have nothing if I don't have you. She's not singing to God. She's singing to her lover, right? But I, I love this. This is one of my favorite songs, soul songs, Alicia Keys. Some people want it all, but I don't want nothing at all if it ain't you, baby. If I ain't got you, baby. Some people want diamond rings. Some just want everything. But everything means nothing if I ain't got you. And I definitely ain't trying to sing that one. But I love these songs. They express this desire. It's like, where am I going to go? There's nothing on earth I want except you. You can give me all the riches. You can give me all the diamonds. You can give me all the wealth, all the power, all the status. But really all I want is you, a person. I love these songs. They express what we feel inside. But friends, let me tell you, there ain't anybody on this earth that can give you what you truly need deep down. I can't give it to my wife. My wife can't give it to me. I can't give it to my kids. My kids can't give it to me. You, as brothers and sisters in Jesus, I can't give it to you as your pastor, and you can't give it to me. There's only one that can truly satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. And Asaph says that. There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. The psalmist sings this song from his birdcage, and he realizes he's, he's not really a caged bird truly. He's singing to the only one who truly sets him free because he has the power to bring true justice. And he's the one who offers the only presence that could truly satisfy his soul when he feels crushed. He says, God is the strength of my heart. He's the rock that will hold me up and he is my portion forever. He is what I'm longing for. He is what I'm striving for and he is the one that can never be taken away from me. I love what Paul says in Romans, what can separate us from the love of God? And he lists every terrible thing you could think of. Neither height nor depth nor anything in all this world can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He is our portion. Do you desire him today? Do you desire him like Asaph? There's nothing in this world I want but you, Lord. And so the psalmist summarizes this whole conversation. He comes back and he says, I've given you my testimony now. I've told you what I saw out the window, the side window. I saw injustice everywhere. But I recalled the power and presence of God. And then I finally just said, Lord, I desire nothing but you. And it made this caged bird sing. Sing a praise to the one who is on high. He says, God is going to punish the wicked and the arrogant who are far from God and, and who ignore his power. But when I feel crushed, Asaph says, I know where to go. I'm staying close to my God. He got me out of the true cage of sin and death. He is my rock. He is my refuge. He is my home. He's my shelter. And that leads me to live sin. Look at the final phrase that I may tell of all your works. Friends, this is one of the best ways to live sent. 
We go out, we see all the injustice in this world. We hear someone else singing a cynical, caged bird song, and we say, can I tell you my song? Can I tell you my song? I felt exactly like you felt, but I remembered the power of my God. I remembered his salvation for me, and I know that his presence will never be taken away from me. I tell other caged birds how they can be set free too. That brings us, brings us back to our big idea. When prevailing injustice crushes our faith, God's power and presence are the rock of our souls. Friends, when you feel the weight of injustice around you, I want to invite you, force yourself to pause and recall the power of God. Remember that even in this moment where I feel heated and tormented and annoyed by all the injustice I see around me, you got to remember this. God cares more than I do. He cares more than I do. Recall the power of God. Set your desire, your gaze, your passion, your love to say, I desire nothing but you, Lord. I desire nothing but the presence of the Savior. Get close to him. You see, we see an example of that in the New Testament. There was a caged bird in a prison named the Apostle Paul. He writes actually from prison in his letter to his friends in Philippi, to the Philippians. And in Philippians 1.21, he says this, For to me, even in this birdcage of a prison, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's nothing that can separate me from God's love and I've set my desires fully on him so that whether I'm in prison or whether I'm out, whether I'm in good times or in hard times, he says later on in this very same letter, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why? Because he's my desire. He's my portion. He's my love. He's my gaze. I remember he's the pilot of my life so that I could rest in him. I hate the injustice. I want to stand up against the injustice. But even if I remain in this birdcage now, I know know that he set me free from the birdcage that was locked from the outside of sin and death, and he has set me free forever. So for to me, to live, my gaze is fully on Christ. And even if these arrogant, proud, boastful strutters come and they want to kill me, to die is gain. I have a glorious destiny in him. Is this your story? Is this your bird song? For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. And as the psalmist said, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. What have you been living for? Have you been living for love from another on a horizontal level? Acceptance? Justice? Peace? Have you been set free today? I want to ask you today. Maybe you feel like that caged bird and you said, I, I've never been able to make sense of all the stuff, all the garbage I see in this world. Look to Jesus. And finally, I want to invite the uh, worship team to come back up. What does this mean for Monday? What does this mean for Monday? We're going to sing it actually right now. When my faith feels crushed, what will you hold on to? When your faith feels crushed, what or whom will you hold to? The psalmist said, I'm going to hold on to God. We're going to sing a song right now, and as Pastor Hang and I were, were singing this song, he, he presented this song. He said, what do you think about this as a closing song? I said, man, I haven't sung it in like 30 years, right? 
It's a great song, though. It's written by Michael W. Smith. It's, it's called Draw Me Close. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. It's like the song of the psalmist, this caged bird. Never let me go. I lay it all down again, all my cares, all my concerns, to hear you say that I'm your friend. You are my desire. You are my desire. No one else could do because nothing else could take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace. Help me find my way. Bring me back to you. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe that's your prayer. Help me find my way. I feel crushed. I feel like a caged bird. Help me recall your power and your presence and lead me back to you. And we're going to sing it in just a moment now. Here's the chorus. And if you mean it with all your heart, I want to invite you to stand right now. We're going to sing it. But if you mean it with all your heart, sing it out with all your heart. Who cares? If you're singing out a key, if someone's next to you, make a joyful noise, not a beautiful sound. Make a joyful noise. But we're going to sing it together. Lord, you're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you are near. Let that be your prayer this morning, your cry to God. Let that be your bird song, even if you feel like you're in a cage.